Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 456, the Coffin Flu Edition. I'm Kevin Coulson. And I'm George Conger. Today's November 12th, 2018. Welcome to another show. Uh, for those of you who want to know my nose is all bad and why I speak through my nose is because I have a cold. I got sick because my son was wonderful enough to bring something home from school and share it with my wife and I. She's downstairs on the couch. She's sick too. So if you hear some coughing coming from down... There you go. That's my dear wife. We're suffering. But you don't have to suffer. You get to listen to us. George, how are you doing? I'm great. I We had the Community Veterans Day service. It was 86 degrees, so I'm sweating away in beautiful, sunny Florida. Well, you're yeah. freezing your, uh, you know what's off. I'm yeah, we, we woke up to 28 degrees and frost in all the car windows. It was a, a, a an amazing transformation we're having here in Connecticut. I mean, it was uh, so hot. I could smell the wheels, of the, the rubber in the wheelchairs melting in the uh, park. Um, it was one of those days. You're killing us, George. Let's move on to the news. I think the biggest news is there's a love letter out there. Uh, Bishop Love yeah. has published a letter on his thoughts and uh, kind of a, uh, uh, we're not going to do that stuff, uh, follow-up from General Convention, where they said there's going to be uh, some new resolutions here. We're going to allow same-sex marriages in all our dioceses. And if the bishop isn't happy about it, he has to invite a new bishop in to do it for him. And Bishop Love said, no, we're not doing that. Uh, kind of a, this is going to be the letter heard around the world, not unexpected from Bishop Love. No, uh, this is what Bishop Love has been saying at convention. He said this, he's been saying this to his clergy in conversations, and now he's put pen to paper and put down his views. And it's a lovely letter. I encourage you all to read it. It's posted on its entirety on Anglican Inc.'s website, where he lays out his theological and principled objections and that he cannot in good conscience, uh, as a bishop, as a priest, as a Christian, carry out the resolution of general convention. Hmm. People are going to ask when they read this letter, is he going to need to be deposed? Everybody remembers uh, when somebody came up against Catherine Jefford Shorey, she deposed them. Uh, oh, all of a sudden, you're out of a communion uh, because of your thoughts, words, and deeds. Uh, but it's a new governance in the Episcopal Church. Uh, 815 has new characters that sit in the offices there. Uh, is he going to be deposed for this? Anything is possible. Now, that, in other words, but is it probable? And I say, no, it's not probable. And there's a marked difference between the uh, Mark Lawrence issues and the Bob Duncan issues uh, and this particular issue. First, we need to understand that Bishop Love is refusing to comply with a resolution of general convention. A resolution is not a canon. It's not part of its constitution. So, and there are diocesan canons that contradict the general convention resolution so before you could even get to the stage that of him saying that he has done something improper you have to have a legal determination which has not been made of when there's a conflict of laws which law is supreme and so yes there could conceivably be somebody there could be some really cranky nasty unhappy priest in the diocese of albany who wants to get bishop love they could file a complaint, but all uh, uh, several steps need to be done. First, a resolution versus a canon. 
uh, versus conflict of laws between a diocese versus this is an interim measure and then you get into the question of how is the jury going to decide we are as you mentioned we don't have Catherine Jeffrey Shorey at the top Catherine Jeffrey Shorey um, this is unkind of me to say but she was a very weak person in internally she was passive-aggressive and she was very conscious of being unqualified for the position of presiding bishop of coming from a diocese of less than two thousand people and so her approach and response to conflict was to be as hard and nasty as possible she had to prove something and what she proved was that she could spend tens of millions of dollars and wreck the Episcopal Church and form the ACNA Michael Carey doesn't have to prove a darn thing so we've well, got two and he's the decision maker here we do have you know if this letter was written 10 years ago 15 years ago it would have appealed to Canterbury it would have appealed to the leaders of the Anglican Communion uh, Bishop Love doesn't appeal to anybody here he doesn't say there's some place I can go to get help there you know he's writing uh, into the vacuum of the Episcopal Church and into the vacuum of the Anglican Communion there's nobody here to help him that's correct and well, Bishop Love, I believe, was one of the communion partner bishops who met with Justin Welby last month. I believe it was last month in Dallas. And Justin Welby is giving all sorts of sweet murmurs, and yes, I support you, and yes, I'm going to help you. But I think Bishop Love is uh, wise enough to know that he, that is a reed he cannot rely upon. That's a very slender reed, and it will snap when Justin Welby is asked to give an account of himself. So what Bishop Love is doing is he's pinning himself to we are in fellowship, unlike most Episcopal dioceses, with the vast majority of the Anglican Communion. And we do not wish to break that relationship by being compelled to do something against our conscience. See, what, just, what Bishop Love is doing, he is pleading the moral and intellectual high road. He's pleading integrity of conscience and character. And by doing and not relying upon power, not relying upon politics, not relying upon money, Albany's broke. It doesn't have any deep pockets. He's just saying this is a this is an issue where I must stand and be counted because uh, doing so otherwise would be untrue to my vows as a bishop. I, I think that argument today resonates within the House of Bishops of the Episcopal Church the way that argument would not have resonated ten years ago different people. See, Kevin, we, we need to understand the changes that are taking place within the House of Bishops of the Episcopal Church. Right now, it's a better House of Bishops than it was certainly 25 years ago. If uh, 25 years ago, uh, in the time of Jack Spong and Fitz Allison, we had debates over whether the Trinity is real, whether the virgin birth is real. We had bishops who did not believe in God who you and I would call deists or atheists. Those guys have all retired from the scene. So you have now a new generation of people who may be liberal in their theology, but they are believers according to their lights. They don't deny the gospel. And as we saw at the General Convention, it's the old folks in the House of Deputies and in the House of Bishops who are calling for uh, the no prisoners approach, the new people being elected bishop, the younger people who may be pro-gay are like saying, look, we need to agree to disagree. 
Now, again, that's not, if I were uh, Bill Love, would I say, am I going to uh, rely upon the sentiment changing? Well, maybe no. not. No. But, but by the same token, I think he's in a much better political position <clears throat> than his predecessors were. Well, I'm going to try and get an interview with uh, Bishop Love later this week and uh, see what he has to say. Maybe he doesn't want to talk. We'll see. Um, let's but, move but on to some... Thing we need, uh, sure. The other thing to say is Bill Love is the first, actually, to have written this down on paper. Yeah. There are other communion partner bishops uh, and conservative bishops. John Howard of Florida, who is not a communion partner's bishop, has essentially come out with the same policy as Bishop Love. Bishop Brewer of Central Florida essentially has the same policy of Bishop Love. Well, here's the difference between Central Florida and Albany. Albany has a higher number of liberal, progressive clergy and dot parishes. Mm -hmm. So Bishop Love has to be absolutely clear because he has, he has people trying to undermine him. Central Florida, there's only one parish that uh, would seek to undermine him. And so that parish, if it wants to force the issue, has to go through all these bureaucratic hoops. They have to call a parish meeting. They have to come up with this money to pay for And others. Central Florida can play games. Bill Love doesn't have that luxury. No, he but there are, other, there are other dioceses that essentially have adopted the same policy as Bishop Love. <clears throat> Bishop Love is the first and the most eloquent uh, speaker on this issue from the conservative point of view. Oh, easily, easily. Let's move on to some local news. Uh, in Connecticut, we have a place called St. Paul's Darien, famous for Terry Fulham, uh, the uh, miracle in Darien. Uh, they have had some recent trouble with their vestry and priest, uh, Father Cover, I think his name is. Uh, why don't you bring us up to speed on that, George? Well, George Cavour, Canon George Cavour, is the rector of uh, St. Paul's and Darien. And if you're an Episcopalian of a certain age, that name has a ring to it. It's tied into the name of Terry Fulham. Mm -hmm. And there was a book in the late 70s called Miracle at Darien where Terry Fulham came to this uh, suburban commuter parish on the uh, uh, New York, New Haven, and Hartford Railroad lines, and he turned it around. It became a charismatic powerhouse. Uh, I knew Terry Fulham. He retired down to DeLand, Florida, and he would come to our Central Florida conventions, and I chatted with him many, many times. He's actually, Terry Fulham is not a very people person. He's one of these people who, before a congregation or a crowd, just wows you. One-on-one, -on -one, that's not his strength, sure. but that having been said. So Terry Fulham took this up to, I don't know, several hundreds, close to a thousand. Now the parish has a Sunday attendance of about six or seven. When, you know, when Terry Fulham left, they couldn't keep the momentum going. Then we had the Connecticut Six issues and Andrew Smith, a dreadful bishop of Connecticut, uh, <laughs> Would you like to speak to that issue? No, I'm not going to say that. I'd be sued up the wazoo. And then we had, then recently we had Christopher Layton, who was a uh, supporter of the ACNA while remaining a TEC priest. And Christopher Layton got away with stuff that the new bishop, Ian Douglas, uh, basically closed his eyes to. He allowed uh, Bishop Murdoch, the ACNA bishop in New England, to do consecrations of clergy ordinations of clergy at St. Paul's and Darien. Yeah. And Ian Douglas, who is extremely liberal, he's a socialist, a proud socialist, basically decided, I'm going to look the other way. Well, Christopher Layton moved on. They hired George Cavour. George Cavour, former principal of Trinity College in Bristol, a chaplain to the Queen, 
he had a great resume. He comes, it's not working. No. And well, no, he's orthodox. He's conservative. He, he would certainly preach what St. Paul's wants to hear. However, he's a company man, and uh, he would never take the church out of uh, the Episcopal Church. And I think the desire after Christopher Layton left was to continue on. Christopher Layton always promised we will leave one day, uh, but they never took that step. And I think it was very disappointing to the leadership there. And they finally said, we got to go. I don't, I don't know, Kevin. I think, well, I'm mind reading now, so uh, take it for what it's worth. Sure. George Cavour does not have the pastoral skills necessary to revitalize a church. No. Orthodoxy to one side. Another, so <clears throat> the expectations <clears throat> that they brought in hiring him and the conversations they had with the vestry in the search process did not truly reveal the man. But at the same time, you got a dreadful vestry. You, this is not a repeat of Connecticut Six. No. You've got some stupid people doing stupid things, and I include the vestry and the priest. Why, why do I say that? There is a process in the Episcopal Church for the dissolution of a pastoral relationship. If you've got a bad priest, you don't need the sheriff to get rid of him. You can go through a process. And they start, and Bishop uh, Douglas started this process. But the parish vestry refused to go through the process. So they stopped paying him, locked him out of the church, a whole, they basically were petty and vindictive. And so Ian Douglas responded the way he should. He favored the one person who agreed to play by the rules, which was George Cavour. Now, having said that, if George Cavour really, well, I'm offering advice when I've not been asked to. If George Cavour had the parish's best interest at heart, he would have left long before this. Sure. But, you know, I don't know his financial situation. I don't know what he thinks he could have accomplished. But so it came down to the diocese in Connecticut, diocesan Episcopal Convention voted to make this essentially a mission, dissolving the vestry, making Cavour an appointee of the bishop, and Bishop uh, Douglas is essentially Let's start again. So, yeah. friends, don't don't paint anybody as a monster here. Yes, there's a lot of lot of grief in the past, a lot of pain, a lot of anger. But the thing is, this has got nothing to do with that. This is basically a pastoral. This, oh, uh, I mean, I can point to situations within the ACNA where there's some bad priests that the bishop had to go in and get rid of and bad vestries that the bishop had to tame. This is just another example of human brokenness. And those ones that you mentioned never made the press because they were done correctly. Yes. See, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, that, And we had a case uh, in uh, Vero don't give Beach. To, don't give too much information. Well, no, I mean, I've talked about this before. Okay. Trinity Episcopal Church left the Diocese of Central Florida to join the ACNA. Mm -hmm. Well, I was on the, I've been on the diocesan board in perpetuity thing and basically knew that the rector was under investigation for fiddling around with women. Mm -hmm. And before it got too hot, he pulled his parish out of the diocese. And my opinion has always been that what motivated him to act was to escape justice. Well, his file made its way to John Guernsey, who was this supervising bishop for the new Christchurch Anglican, and Guernsey got rid of the guy. Um, and the parish vestry 
followed the rules set up by the ACNA. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are bad priests in every denomination. And there are some stupid vestries in every denomination. Uh, this is yeah. just one of those perfect <laughs> storms where you got a the wrong priest and a dumb vestry, and it's blown up. Well, let's talk about uh, a long-term story now, a tragic story. Uh, let's do a follow-up on Ellen Cook. For those who remember, she was the Bishop of well, Rhode Island? Suffragan Bishop of Maryland. Maryland, sorry. Ah, the brain's not working. Uh, she had a uh, drinking problem, and she said it was all taken care of, no big deal. The people who hired her to be the new bishop believed her, and lo and behold, she's uh, drinking again, and she kills a bicyclist. She goes to jail, and now she wants to get out of jail, George. Yes, she was sentenced to seven years for a vehicular manslaughter, leaving the scene of a fatal accident, all these violations. She ran over a motorcycle. She ran over a bicyclist while she was bombed, driving, and texting. Mm -hmm. And she fled the scene of the accident. Uh, terrible tragedy. And she was deposed from the Episcopal Church. And there was a big stink at the time because um, at, her, at the party before her ordination, consecration as bishop, she got drunk in public. And there was always the thing of, you're living with another priest, a man who's not your husband, but you're sharing a home, shouldn't you get married? Well, we're not going to discuss that because this is, it's the women's turn, so we're going to have an all-female slate, and this mm -hmm. is the, the least objectionable. Okay. She's convicted of manslaughter in a very public trial. Last year, she came up for parole, and the parole board turned her down saying she did not show any contrition. Now, I got to tell you, Kevin, uh, she's... You got one shot at parole at a seven-year sentence, okay? And you practice your act. You, you practice crying in a mirror. You tell people how you're so sorry you killed a man, a father of small children, and how you've destroyed the integrity of the church. I mean, you... You know what you need to do. She failed. She showed no contrition. She showed no remorse. And the parole board said, no. Nah. Well, she blew a chance of parole. So on November 5th, she had a chance at clemency for good behavior. Because this is technically a nonviolent offense. In other words, manslaughter really? is... How? Well, well, because she didn't set out that morning with the intent of killing It was someone. not premeditated. Okay, all right. It's not premeditated. That's why it was manslaughter, not murder. For nonviolent offenders, you get, uh, under the Maryland Judicial Code, you get uh, automatic time off for good behavior if you behave yourself in prison, and you go through these steps and this and that. And so she was, uh, as she had asked the court for time off for good behavior so she could get out now instead of in 2022. And on November 5th, the court had a hearing, and the judge, without offering any reason, not even the, the just said, uh-uh, you're going to serve your full term. Oh. oh, boy. Well, good. I mean, we, we want accountability within the church, and if the secular courts have to enforce it, well, that has, that's the way it's going to be. Okay, George. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, well, out of evil can some can... I mean, the Episcopal Church, uh, the, the whole Cook tragedy basically brought back 
into perspective uh, the issue of we can't cover up alcoholism. Are you okay down there? <laughs> now, here's here's something that you know. Um, Gene Robinson had a terrible drink had 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 a drinking problem. Everybody knew it. He went to alcohol rehab a number of times, but nobody was allowed to say this in public. And when David Virtue would say it in public, he would be exoriated by the liberals of character assassination. Mm -hmm. But the problem was Robinson had a substance abuse problem. He's now been able, and now I understand it's been taken care of, but the whole culture of the Episcopal Church was that to say anything about a woman who had a substance abuse problem, a gay man who had a substance abuse problem, uh, was to attack the man or the woman for reasons other than substance abuse. This is a coded attack on on the gay agenda or on the women's agenda. Mm -hmm. And part of the reforms the Episcopal Church has instituted is to say, look, if you've got a problem, you got a problem. And whether you're gay or straight, black or white, male or female, we still have to claim and name the problem and not cover it up because it's politically incorrect to uh, do so. All right. Well, do keep Bishop Love and my dear wife in your prayers. <laughs> They're going to pray for you, Jill. Okay. You'll make it. I'm Kevin Carlson. And I'm George Conger. And you've been watching episode 456 of Anglican Unscripted.